what you're about and who you call us to be, uh, Lord, in community together. So I pray this morning on this Pentecost Sunday as we recognize and celebrate not only the birth of your church and this church, but Lord, the gift that you give us through your son Jesus. So may it be your word that's heard today. In your name I pray. Amen. So today is a day of celebration for Emmanuel on many fronts. But we know that we often don't get to a day of celebration without challenges. And through those challenges, we become the people God has called us to be. I read about a teacher who was helping one of her kindergarten students put on his winter boots. He asked her for help, and she could quickly see why. With her pulling and him pushing, the boots still did not want to go on. When the second boot was on, she sighed, she sighed a, a sigh of relief. But then the little boy said, uh-oh, the boots are on the wrong feet. <laughs> the teacher looked down, and she could quickly tell that he was right. And so to take these boots off took as much effort as it did to put the boots on. But she kept her cool together along the whole point. Well, when they got together and the, the boots were back on his feet, he looked at him again and said, these aren't my boots. <laughs> so off the boots go again, and they sit there, and he looks at him and says, oh, they're my brother's boots. My mom made me wear them. And so this teacher didn't know whether she should laugh or cry. Does this sound familiar, Jocelyn? So, you, you've been there. But she, must, she mustered enough grace to wrestle the boots on his, on his little feet. After they were on, though, she looked at him and said, Now, where are your mittens? He said, Oh, I forgot. They're in the toes of my boots. <laughs> there are some challenges we face. Some we think are really large, but they're not. But then there are those really very large challenges in life. Our church is facing some of those challenges. Our society is absolutely facing many of those challenges, and our world is facing many of those divisive and destructive challenges. Yet it's during these times that as we look to God, as we turn to God, that we realize God can use them if we are in touch with Him. Author and theologian Frederick Beatner has this ability to take the common events of life and recognize something that is sacred in them. Picture this scene. It's on the front of a magazine cover. There's a restaurant in a city somewhere, a sort of quick lunch place. There are no tablecloths on the table. It's just those bare wooded tables, four legs to them. On the table is a bottle of ketchup and a bottle of mustard. It seems to be raining outside. There's an elderly man. He has on a raincoat and an umbrella in his hand, and he's turning to the door, but he turns around to look inside the restaurant. Another man glances up as he sits there smoking his cigar over his newspaper and his coffee. Two teenagers sit at a table. One of them has a cigarette in his mouth. They're all looking at the same thing. This older woman and a small boy who are sharing a table with the teenagers. The woman and the boy's heads are bowed. They're saying grace. 
And it seems that all the people in this restaurant are watching them with dazed fascination. The small boy's ears stick out from his head like the handles of a jug. The old woman's eyes are closed. Her hair is untidy and and under a hat that has seen better days. The people seem to be looking at him, though, with this fascination, something they feel they've been a part of once but actually aren't any longer. Through the plate glass window in the rain, the city looks very dim, monotonous, even industrial. The old woman and the boys are saying grace, and for a moment, the silence in the place is immeasurable. The watchers are watching something that they've all but forgotten and will probably forget soon again as the moment passes. The old woman and the boy in their old-fashioned clothes, praying their old-fashioned prayer, are leftovers from a day that has long since ceased to be. This is a scene from one of Norman Rockwell's magazine covers on the Saturday Evening Post. And it touches on something that, if we spend a moment and contemplate it, I think begins to touch us all. It was a generation ago, or at least a generation ago, that he painted it. But it's the likeness that remains fresh today, and even in its simplicity, that draws each of us in. There are not many diners left. The scene would be more recognizable at McDonald's or Wendy's, Beekner says. For us, it's probably Huey's or Chick-fil-A. But the impact would be the same. A simple prayer. A simple prayer of thanks quietly expressed in the public of our modern world that is both reassuring but also discomforting. Reassuring because it is who we are at our best. Discomforting because it is who we often and so easily have forgotten to be. Today's scriptures text comes from 2 Corinthians. And it reminded me of this scene from the Saturday evening post that Beekner describes in that diner. The startling interruption of gratitude in the midst of melancholy, melancholy can't help but be noticed. The scene in the scripture described as one of far fewer resources than what we live with today. Yet, there's a grateful life to be had. What is the gratefulness that Paul talks about in today's scripture? And how is it that we receive it, and what do we do with it? I invite you to join me in the scripture today that comes from 2 Corinthians 8, verses 1-7. through Perhaps you've brought your Bibles with you. You've got a device which you can look at the Scripture. uh, Or uh, we'll provide a Bible for you if you desire. Read with me today. I'm reading from the English (coughs) Standard Version of 2 Corinthians 8, verses 1 through 7. We want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. 
And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness and in our love for you, see that you also excel in this act of grace. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks Thanks be to God. In 2 Corinthians, Paul writes, We want you to know about the grace of God. For during the Macedonians' affliction, their abundant joy and their extreme poverty overflowed in a wealth of generosity. Can you begin to even picture the scene that Paul is drawing for us today? The people were afflicted and impoverished, but there is a gratitude that they possessed, the gratitude that had transformed their situation, had transformed their affliction, but is a gratitude in which Jesus had generously given to them. True for Paul in the first, tr- first century and true for us. Gratitude also grabs our attention and puts life into context. And if we're willing to give in to it, transformation. We're here this morning to give thanks for the gifts that God has given us and provided and to celebrate the gifts of God's generous people, you and those around you, who are committed to the presence of Christ and building the kingdom in this community in which we live and beyond. We live generously when we receive what God gives us with gratitude. I'm grateful today to be among grateful people. When you awoke this morning, were your thoughts, good morning, God, or were they as you've heard before, I'm sure, good God, it's morning, it's Sunday morning, and we even get ready to go. We acknowledge this morning that all that we are And all that we have have been given to us from this God in which we gather and worship. Let us put aside the thinking that whatever we have, we've earned it. And it's never enough. Let's operate not out of a mind of scarcity, but with an attitude of gratefulness. When we don't operate out of this grateful mind frame, malcontent begins to seep into our lives. A case in point that I read about of a man who was hard of hearing. He turned, away, he turned away from the teller of a bank who said to him as he was leaving, Have a nice day. No, thank you, he replied. I have other plans. <laughs> also read about a national speaker who said, The face you are stuck with after 40 is your fault. <laughs> now, if you're over 40, you might not get that. <laughs> but uh, for those of us who are the face you're stuck with after 40 is your fault what do you think he meant by that is it possible that there's actually physical results of our attitude i love the saying gratitude is the attitude that determines your altitude gratitude is the attitude that determines your altitude. 
where do your first and primary thoughts of gratitude go? Do they go to God? The Reverend Martin Rinkert was a 17th century German Lutheran pastor who reportedly lost some 5,000 parishioners during the 30-year war. Sometimes he officiated up to 15 funerals a day. But it's this man who gave us these words that might be familiar. Now think we all are God with heart and hands and voices. Sound familiar, choir? <laughs> we who wondrous things has done in whom this world rejoices, who from our mother's arms has blessed our own way with countless gifts of love and still is ours today. All praise and thanks to God the Father now be given, the Son and Him who reigns with them in highest heaven, the one eternal God whom earth and heaven adore, for thus it was, is now, and shall be evermore. Reverend Rinkert knew, as we do at our best, that thanksgiving, that gratitude comes out of our love for God not the circumstances in life that we face. In our consumer world that creates within us a sense of wants and needs for more, it's important to raise our sights above that frenzy that feeds our wants and desires to a level where gratitude acknowledges that we really are blessed people living in a blessed community. Many, and maybe, the secret for being grateful, even in the midst of circumstances such as Rinkert himself faced, is a life that is closely connected to God. We live generously when we are closely connected to the source of all our gifts. The source, the connection to God. Prayer is one way that we maintain that connection. Maybe you've heard this prayer that a man prayed. Dear Lord, so far today, God, I've done all right. I haven't gossiped. I haven't lost my temper. I haven't been greedy, grumpy, nasty, selfish, or overindulgent, and I'm really glad about that. But in a few minutes, God, I'm going to get out of bed, and from then on, I'm probably going to need a lot more help. Thank you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. We can relate to such a prayer. And real prayer is more along the lines of what Harry Emerson Fosdick meant when he wrote The Meaning of Prayer. If God has, less, has left us some things contingent on our thinking and working, why may God not have left some things contingent upon our praying? The testimony of the great souls is a clear affirmation to this. Some things never without working. Some things never without thinking. Some things never, he says, without praying. Prayer is central. Central to a life of gratitude and a generous response that comes forth from it. Every good thing about our lives sings of the generosity and graciousness of a giving God. When we connect to that, Mentally, spiritually, emotionally. 
we are compelled from deep within to respond by appropriately using God's blessings. Paul Tillich has written, Religion is first an open hand to receive a gift, and second, an acting hand to distribute gifts. Giving. Giving is at the very heart, is at the very nature of God himself. From the beginning of time, when God breathed life into humanity, God has not stopped giving to us. To fully participate in God's created order, we are a people who need to give. We need to give not just in token ways, but also in the kinds of ways that represent an investment into God's greater purposes. Today, we gather to celebrate, to celebrate the gifts that will strengthen community because we live in a community whose strength comes from God. For 54 years, Emmanuel has been serious about its mission and about its connection. We've been serious about our vision that leads to transformation, and it's as vital today as it's ever been. Today, we pause. We pause to celebrate and to give God thanks for those gifts with gratitude. The Apostle Paul states in many of his letters, as he writes to his colleagues in churches throughout Asia and even into the Western world, he expresses heartfelt gratitude for them. In 1 Corinthians, he says, I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. It's in 2 Corinthians that we read this morning and even a little earlier that there's a group of Macedonians who gave generously for the poor in Jerusalem. These were people that they did not know. And then he says to them, See that you too excel in this grace of giving. God's grace, our gratitude, <clears throat> generous giving. This leads us on a path that seeks for transformation to make the world, the community around us a better place. A path to strengthen community at Emmanuel and in our neighborhood, even if sometimes the boots... <coughs> don't fit. In the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Amen. <coughs> Lord, we thank you for the gifts you have given us. We thank you for attitudes of gratitude. We thank you for a community in which we live that calls us to celebrate these gifts, not for ourselves, but for those who may be impacted by them. So Lord, thank you for who you are and who you've called us to be and this spirit that leads us ahead. In your name.
We have heard God's word proclaimed this morning, and so let us respond with the giving of our tithes and offerings. Would the ushers please come forward? <laughs> 